1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
0: Do you miss the days when all the answers to life's big questions could be found in the juicy pages of Dolly Doctor? Sex, friendships, relationships, family, life stuff. Dolly gave us total honesty with zero judgment. We learned that it wasn't weird to masturbate, like a lot, and that periods can sometimes be tricky, unpredictable things. We talked about what to do when we had a crush on someone and how to get over relationship breakups. Having Dolly to turn to made all that teenage angst a bit more bearable. Adulthood was around the corner. We would all get our shit together. Move to the city to become big-time businesswomen and sleep with Harrison Ford, like Melanie Griffiths in Working Girl. Was that just me? Life was happening. And then we all grew up and realised that everything is still confusing. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline, presented weekly by me, Clementine Ford. This is your place to ask all the questions you still don't know the answers to about sex, friendships, relationships, family and life stuff with the kind of frank advice you could expect to find from the person who loves you most, your big sister. Because life isn't easy, and sometimes we all need a big sister to call on. Hello, friends out there in isolation land, and welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. It's hard to believe this hot, that this podcast is less than two months old, considering how drastically things have changed in the world since it began. And I think I speak for almost all of us, except maybe Scott Morrison, When I say shit is getting real, my three-year-old, who I very much hope is going to stay asleep tonight, he and I are on day four of isolation and let me tell you the main thing I've learned. It's not that peanut butter sandwiches can and will be happily served as a meal three times a day with the only variation being in which shapes you cut them into, although that is a true fact. It's not that you'll develop grave fears that when and if you finally emerge from this, you may be a raging alcoholic with extremely defined boundaries of personal space and that this in turn will cause you to fear that sex with another actual human being may be merely a memory abandoned to the old world, although you will be and it probably is. (laughs) No, what I have learned during these four days is that there is a point at which you have absorbed so much paw patrol that you are now able to bend time and space with your mind. Those of you lucky enough to no longer be parenting toddlers, or who made what seems clear now at the end of the world to be the sensible choice to remain child free, may be asking yourself, what in the devil's poppycock is Paw Patrol? As I said to a friend the other night, Paw Patrol is neoliberal propaganda designed to indoctrinate children into accepting the understaffing and underfinancing of emergency services by convincing them these jobs can be done by talking dogs. Which, if I may put it boldly now, seems to have been proven to be quite the oversight. But we aren't here to talk about that, friends. This is the Big Sister Hotline, which means we're here to deliver your weekly dose of advice in the kind of frank, funny, and fiercely loving way that only a proper Big Sister can. And I am extremely thrilled to introduce this week's guest, Big Sister, who is a celebrated ARIA award-winning musician, a broadcaster, sometime actor, entrepreneur, and most recently, the top 10 national best-selling author of the searing memoir, Your Own Kind of Girl. She is, of course, Claire Bowditch. Claire, welcome. Well, what a treat. What an absolute <laughs> treat.
1: Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I got especially dressed up. Can you see me or just hear I me? I can see you. I, everyone can see you. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a little bit of a Stevie Nicks sort of thing. I just wanted to dress up for the occasion because it's Friday night, babe, and we're on date night. Friday night lights.
0: Friday night lights. Yeah. Um, I also just want to say a very warm welcome to all the people who are tuning in to watch the live stream, which is a live recording of this episode. Hello, hello. We've never tried something like this before because we've never been at the end of the world before. Um. <laughs> Gallo's humour. I mean, it's getting yeah. a bit historical here.
1: I've also got a cat on heat. So just excuse me if I'm bobbing in and out of the screen. I mean, she's on
0: heat. i got to cool yeah, her we- down. We might we might hear some of that later. Necessity of yeah. is, of course, the mother of all invention. And so here we are. And I'd also like to say a very big thank you to Tom Chapman from Living the Stream, who's organised all the tech for this and is on the other end of Claire and me producing what I hope can be an alternative option to in-person discussions and performances moving forward. And when I say that he's organised all the tech for it, I literally mean that 30 minutes before this was due to start, I said, I've got someone sending a microphone around in a very, like, stringently hazmat, <laughs> styled way because I've literally broken all of the microphones in my house trying to connect them just to my computer. Um, So all of the proceeds from tonight's sales will go directly to Support Act, uh, which is an organisation supporting musicians and live performers whose work has vanished overnight because of the shutdown. So thank you all again for being here. We greatly appreciate it. I do have a very exciting giveaway later on as well. So this is awesome. Well, for for someone who we deem to have you know offered a great comment and when i say exciting trust me it's it's an exciting one uh, you'll be- <laughs> look i'll be honest it's a satisfier pro two um so <laughs> anyone who's familiar with the satisfier pro two will know exactly I what it. i'm talking about right. That's it, right pretty much if we're all in isolation <laughs> we all need one well those of us who have vaginas at least Anyway, Claire, how are you spending the isolation other than babysitting your cat in heat?
1: Yes, well, um, can I just say I didn't know. Like, I'm a I'm a newbie with cats. We've only got our first Burmese about five months ago, and our second about three months ago. So they were supposed to come together. Things happened. Um, three nights ago, in the middle of the night, I was woken by a sound that like intense, and I thought, dear God! I didn't know you had a toddler yeah what I'm like. I'm like, what's happened you know I'm checking its underside has it hurt itself has it escaped has it been mauled by you know some tomcat what's happened here and uh it was my son uh who suggested that perhaps the cat had a period now I didn't know that cats had so psych- I knew, knew nothing about cats so if you've ever had a cat in heat, just give me a little shout out because I have been in a state of shock. This cat has been meowing. It's about to leap on me for, um, sorry, for about three nights straight. So I haven't slept. I've already had a couple of glasses of champagne um, and I'm just thrilled to be useful today. I can't wait to hear what our listeners
0: have asked because I just want to be useful. What are you doing to pass the time while you're in isolation aside from cat sitting and you writing music and you finding that it's inspiring creativity in you?
1: Well, I think what happened at first, and I'll just just speak very frankly, um, is that like a lot of artists, I found that a third of my annual income sort of disappeared overnight. And I'm a mum of three. My husband and I both work together in the arts. And uh, two weeks ago when we shut down and necessarily closed Live events. I just had a few days of really freaking out wondering what the heck was I going to do. Um, one of the horrible feelings that I had was that we had to cancel work for our crew. You know, we, we, we we're touring musicians and all of our musicians, all of our friends have been so clever in this period of time. I, I did I sort of sat down and realized I, I am working on a couple of projects. I've got a project for Audible that I'm doing, and I'm writing another book proposal, and I had a couple of things going on. So I've been sort of busy, I, I got out of my panic. And I just went to, okay, straight into action. And I find this is the best way around anxiety always to get into action somehow. Um, a friend Jamila Risby and I started a little group which we thought had a funny name at first called Quarantine with Jam and Claire. Well, that's ended up being quite prescient, hasn't it? So I've been
0: spending a lot of time in there too. You said frankly before, and I know that you've given a name yeah. to your anxiety, which is yeah. funnily enough, Frank. Uh, yes. And you wrote about Frank in your book. Are you... You know, there are lots of people out there who are experiencing anxiety to varying degrees because of uh, the uncertainty of what we're experiencing right now. If I let myself think about that too much. It, I think that's where the panic kind of sets in for me. And also that literally the only person I've touched for a week has been a three-year-old, which I is so unusual.
1: I, it's so bizarre. I put on gloves the other day to so my mother and I could ha- hold hands for a moment <laughs> in just because she's older and we're being really careful. So, look, I'm not surprised, Clem. The voice of anxiety I've noticed um, amongst my friends, we've been doing a few sort of, um, you know, Zoom catch-ups. Up, catch in fact, last week we had a social distance catch-up in in a friend's um driveway and Libby's driveway which was wonderful just to see people but we're all feeling the same way you know this flare of anxiety and for me I I call my anxiety Frank it was just a name that I gave to the voice of anxiety and that sort of you know disordered survival brain voice in my head that goes a bit rogue at times like this when I was about 24 Um, and it was just useful to be able to say you know "Ah, I see you Frank in the corner you go so that's been one of my um, useful techniques for managing anxiety and I've had to have some good serious chats with with Frank with the voice in my head this week because when our nexus of control grows smaller as it has recently you know we find we're if we're lucky we, we have house, a house to be in but uh, we're looking for something to control so for some of you you might have gone Marie Kondo or you might be sort of bulk cooking or you might have you know found yourself sort of at the supermarket anxiously trying to find things for people with histories like mine of disordered eating and um, you know silly diets when I was young I find I have to be really careful and really vigilant because in my head there's a voice saying you know it's very loud about trying to control something and that control can easily slip into trying to control my body and my size and what I do or don't put in my mouth and it makes me feel it's a really poor habit but I say it out loud because I know I'm not the only one sometimes it makes me feel quite comforted to make a little plan around food and what's going to happen and how I'm going to eat and that's a habit for me that I really have to watch at anxious times like this because I can see my body and my mind scrambling to try and get control over something so as my way of getting control has just been to speak honestly you know I appreciate Mm. the chance speak honestly with other people and mm. to, you know to 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 do that rather than to fall into the secret private habits of you know of past um mm. am I drinking a little much red wine well I did wonder where that where that second bottle went
0: I really strongly relate to what you're saying and you know if I can kind of take us down as serious I mean we're already sort of on a serious note but but double yeah. down on the seriousness of that and I guess <laughs> it kind of issue to anyone who's watching the live stream of this that you know obviously some of these topics are potentially triggering for people um but I found I felt exactly the same way actually that you know the Mm. for me managing my anxiety has always been an issue of control as well and I've got you know a history of OCD that flares up in certain situations Mm. I've particularly noticed or tried to be aware of of that uh same as with you as you know with food and with eating and also with cleanliness, even in my house, like the paranoia yes. that I'm feeling about cleaning every single surface, which is probably good practice at the moment.
1: But I actually oh, good, isn't it? I mean the voice of anxiety in that survival brain is is flaring and it's one of the few times in our life where it's actually potentially made partial sense to flare because we're trying to not pass on a pandemic you know not to to the virus
0: we're trying to say who knew who knew that we'd be on you know we'd be perfectly prepared for this i messaged a couple of friends the other day and said to them you know just wanted to be open and honest about the fact that i i can that basically like a lot of my eating disorder is flaring up again um which feels like you know i was open and honest with two of my friends and now i'm potentially mm. being open and honest with certainly everyone present here and all the listeners of this podcast but like you said I think it's really important to be honest about yeah, it you know and I agree. and by yeah. admitting it to people you say I'm aware that it's a problem and I want you to be aware that it's a problem but I also I'm not necessarily asking for you to intervene I'm just letting you know that this is what's going on. See um, here's a
1: really, really tricky thing so you are an educated woman and you've caught that set of thoughts and you're saying it out loud and these are the best things you can possibly do and yet we live in this sort of society in this time where God, it's very hard to tell what is health and what is unhealth you know what is healthy and what is not healthy we we sort of the 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 way that we talk around health is very very confusing so it's in that confusion that so much of this anxiety can hide and and find cracks and corners and sort of you know keep that survival set of hormones going on so i just want to commend you on saying it out loud clem
0: Okay, so these questions have come from little sisters and they come, you know, from uh, questions about life, relationships, mental health, and how we stay sane in a world that seems to be heading down the gurgler. (laughs) Please also note my disclaimer in very big flashing lights that neither I nor Claire Bowditch are doctors, psychologists, or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just two women who've got a little thing called life experience and probably drink too much for our own good. Do you so, know
1: that I am, I just, just said a little heads up. I am actually, claim a qualified life coach. Uh, I did my life coach training in 2012. So. Well,
0: well there you go. I started I correct it.
1: No, uh, no, you don't. There's no, there's no um, legal entity that holds us to it. <laughs> I, just want to say, I did it as a kind of a dare. I was writing an album called The Winter I Chose Happiness and I was very cynical about that stuff. So I did the coaching and training and went, oh no, this is actually quite handy. So. Look, um, I'll I'll try and bring my coach voice over, okay?
0: Our first question comes from this little sister who writes, my question is about friends and their partners. I've had one person I've considered my best friend since we were very little and they're both 23-year-old women now. In our very early 20s, we looked at our girlfriends who got boyfriends and, and subsequently disappeared into a world where it was only the two of them and we wondered why they were so fulfilled by these men and neglected their friends a little too much. A couple of years ago, though, my friend got a boyfriend and slowly her life revolved more and more around him. It hurt for me, but I've learned to protect myself by accepting that she has a right to choose the life that makes her happiest and perhaps releasing some of my own possessive feelings towards her. I would like to know, however, whether you have dealt with this in your life and what your approach has been. Does it get easier? Claire, have you dealt with losing a friend to uh, an all-encompassing, all-consuming relationship? Oh, God, isn't it the worst? Isn't it the worst? Because as our
1: as our little sister said, one knows logically that we can't control other people and, uh, you know, that we we bless other people's relationships. And this is a logical part of our brain. And yet we still grieve that bond. And I remember actually being a teenager. This happened to me, one of my best friends, who was like, you know, we, my partner. Um, we were terribly, terribly close. And then all of a sudden, she fell in love and she didn't have, she fell in love with someone who wasn't me. It was unbelievable. But that's really what it comes and, down to. Pretty much. And she didn't have the same amount of time with me. Um, and I look, I'll just speak from my own experience and say at that point, as you've identified, we get a couple of choices. We can either close our hearts uh, and step away and feel that resentment and let that inform our choices. Or there is a wiser and almost a more painful choice, which is to sit in that ambiguity um, and have to remind ourselves that we matter dearly to this person um, still, and that we, we need to now share them in a new way. So look, does it get any easier? It has gotten easier for me because, you know, that person who I had that experience she's still my best friend to this day or one of my closest friends in the world and the length of our friendship is that we've been able to see each other through those cycles um the times that it's easier for me are actually when I have my own things going on as well so sometimes that's the thing that's requested of us when our beloved other finds other things to do um we're left with ourselves and we have to ask ourselves well, what do I want to do now how about you Clem mm.
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a part and parcel experience of you know having strong female friendships, and one of the things that um, I guess occurs to me when I read that question. Not only is the recognition you know that I've lost. Well, um, I should I should rephrase that. It's not a losing, but you s- you feel at the time like you've lost someone, and the you know you kind of put it perfectly when you said that the problem is that they haven't fallen in love with you. And it's, its I mean, occasionally there can be something sexual there or something sexual underlying it even. But oftentimes it's because really strong friendships with other women are profound love affairs. They're not the kind of love affairs that we're taught to value as being the primary love affairs of our life or Mm. the relationships that will fundamentally get us through our lives. But I feel like they are actually more definitional to who we are as people than relationships that we have that may be romantic and maybe quite same-ish in lots of ways. Certainly the things that you might feel comfortable telling your girlfriends are not, you know, there are lots of people in relationships out there who withhold certain information from their partner because they feel like their partner will look at them in a different way, uh, which means that you can't fully be free with that person, whereas you can with a profoundly beautiful and deep love affair with a female friend, be truly free with them. And I suppose that the, the sense of betrayal there that I've wrestled with and that, that it sounds like, you know, a mm. little sister here is rest, wrestling with is that there are certain paths that you go on with those uh, lovers, the, the friendship lovers, I mean. You feel like you're experiencing so many firsts together or so many deep moments together. And this is the one path that you can't go on with them. You can't do mm. this with them because they've chosen to do it with someone else. And I feel like mm-hmm. understanding that and as you said, sitting sitting in the ambiguity of that and the discomfort of that, you know, I'm a big fan of advocating for people to sit in their own discomfort, uh, as difficult as it is, That's that's a really tricky skill to learn. And it's not one that is necessarily easy. And it's not one even that we master, but mm. it's a little heartache. And I think honoring it as a heartache is a valid thing to do, as opposed to what we're so often told, which is, well, they're just happy with their boyfriend and you should be happy for them. We're entitled to grieve the loss of that special mm. connection because because our relationship has fundamentally shifted, if not forever, at least for the next little while. Yeah, Clem, can I ask? In your experience, do you feel
1: it's important, or even do you feel it's important to disclose that part of your feeling? to your friend or do you feel that that's something that we have to hold quite privately um, so that we don't, you know, disrupt what exists? Like what's your approach been? Because I've
0: tried both. Oh, my approach has probably in in practice been really bad. um <laughs> <laughs> but mind you oh I have to be doing what are you, doing? Why don't you that, like was, yeah that was when I was much younger and and I fortunately happened to be you know in profoundly deep love affairs with women now who also all hate men so um, <laughs> I'm joking guys I'm joking guys. both of you the benefit for me at this stage in my life you know I'm 38 and as you know when you sort of go through having children and you're ex- The relationship that you, if you're talking about romantic relationships, and we've had a few questions over the podcast, uh, you know, the the weeks that I've been doing the podcast, a few relationship questions from women who are maybe younger, you know, in their 20s, and they're not sure whether or not this is, this is the relationship, should they stick it out? Should they go and explore greener pastures? Are they Mm -hmm. fools to do that? you know I remember one question in particular um this lovely young woman said you know that she'd been with her boyfriend since she was 17 and mm. she she still loved him and she saw him as being kind of like someone that would be good to marry but she just felt like for now maybe she should go and explore something else and then was she a bad person for doing that because he was such a nice guy and I think that what I really would love to impart to women and I know you have a uh a wonderful relationship with your husband, but you also have a relationship that's spanned a long time. So it means that there's been mm. some stuff. I think it's really important to impart to all young women who partner with men in particular that that romantic fantasy that we've all been sold about finding the one and getting married and having babies and living happily ever after is not, it. it's bullshit. And it's not bullshit because all men are trash or whatever, it's bullshit because it doesn't take into account the fact that relationships are extremely complicated. And if you have children, it complicates them even further. Um, so all of the friends that are, it's a very long, circuitous way of saying that the deeply profound love affair friendships that I have with women now, more often than not happen to be with women who, who've had children who've experienced extensive frustration in their partnerships because of those children. And I think in a way that Uh, was less appealing when we were in our 20s and we were all looking for that kind of the one character to validate and justify us as women, which you, like me, have a lot of experience in in wrestling with those feelings in yourself. Mm -hmm. That when you get to this point, you kind of think they're not the, that was that stage and this stage is the one where I rediscover just how important women are in my life. So Mm -hmm. I feel like for this questioner, it does get easier in that women come back to each other very strongly absolutely
1: Uh, in fact I'm having a bit of a purple patch with my gal pals at the moment because our children the majority of our children are either coming to high school or you know are at least one of our children's in high school or some some of us are actually our children are finishing high school suddenly we do have more time for each other again. You know, and we've spent years sometimes, you know, these are the women that I wrote my song Woman About, you know, these are my gals who we have the cheeky Tuesday night drink. We might. There were years when we only got to do that a few times, you know, in the whole entire year. But lately we've been having a bit of a delicious, um, oh, God, God, sorry. Um, <laughs> there, I think Claire. Well, there was. um Delicious reconnection. Actually, this champagne glass that I'm holding is from one of my girlfriends, Kirstie. Um, She gave it to me and Marty on our wedding day. And it's a vintage champagne glass for anyone who can't see it. You know, they make remakes of these now at Kmart for about $20. Um, but I, I, every time I hold it and I, I drink from it, it's the only one remaining in the set. There was a set of six from Adrian and, and Kirsty, And when I drink from it, I, I you know, I sort of feel that precious feeling of these lifelong relationships. They, We're not possessive about each other anymore. Um, we just are pretty sure of each other's love in a way that wasn't possible for me when I was younger for whatever reason. And we've got someone who's made a lovely comment, um, Clem, I'll just read it out from LMT, who says, "Who's one of, one of the people who's here live with us on the chat, who says, I've spent most of my 20s listening and trying to help my friends through the ups and downs of their relationships. And when they finally had a healthy relationship, suddenly I'm left to my own devices and have to deal with some of the problems in my own life that
0: I have been avoiding. So I understand that too. Problem. Well, that's a really nice admission. Thank you so much for that, LMT. You know, I always feel like the one of the best, and it gets a totally bad rap because it's always been really popular to shit on things that women like. Uh, but. <laughs> Features is one of the best oh. movies about female oh. friendship or about any friendship oh. ever. Oh. We, With the Girls of Star
1: of the Sea, we watched out of Alicia Warren's house about 49 times one summer. I mean, it's a because it's perfection. Now's the perfect yeah. time to, to watch it yeah. back, crew. You'll and see. I, it for I, I
0: believe that that movie in particular demonstrates that for a lot of women, actually, the one or mm. the love of their life. Mm is their best girlfriend. So yes, little (laughs) sister, it does get easier. But also don't feel don't feel bad about being honest with your friend in a in a gentle way and saying, look, I'm really, really happy for you. I just also want you to know that I feel I feel the loss a little bit, but that's fine. I'll work through it and and I'll be here when you're ready to spend more time with me when you get sick of your boyfriend. Because you will. Now, Claire, question two comes from Grace. I've given them a pseudonym. Grace is 15 years old and that's a good reminder to everyone that the hotline is open to anyone of any age, so do tell your teenagers about it. And as a mother of a teenage girl, this uh, might, you might have some good advice on this. Grace asks, why do I feel like I have to fight for the attention of people around me? I get jealous of relationships around me and it gets real lonely. What do I do?
1: Shall I? I mean, I've got some thoughts yep. immediately about this. Go. You are a 15-year-old woman who is finding your way in the world and, of course, you deserve and long to be seen and loved and adored and accepted and there's something in that restlessness that is very normal, very natural. I remember that feeling too. And if you can learn to alchemize that feeling, to really have the courage to start showing people who you are, you you know and and you won't do it perfectly Uh, I'm just sort of thinking back to some very awkward um, sort of beaches style moments in my own life but but, you know that longing is normal and natural of course you want to be seen darling and um, I just want just to know that we see you tonight we heard your question and this is familiar to me this feeling it's probably that you've got something wonderful to give the world
0: it's just important to acknowledge that being a teenager sucks balls. There are some people who sail through adolescence and they have a wonderful time. And, you know, they're, they're the most popular kids in school and they're the beautiful golden blessed children who get everything they want. And you know what, those people peak in high school. You don't want to be the people who peak in high school. You want to be the people who are weird and awkward and insecure and who don't know what's going on. And who goes home at, you know, after school every day and writes letters to Matthew Basford in their diary and <laughs> wonders why he won't love her. I mean, in our
1: comments, is there anyone who was like, if you were the sort of person who was really confident in high school, of all the people who were listening, could you just give us a little shout out? Because with, without any judgment, I'm genuinely curious to hear if there is anyone in the entire universe
0: who felt enormously confident as a teenager and loved being a teenager. You know, obviously we had our own emotional issues going on in adolescence, many of which were similar to each other's, um, which are common to a lot of teenagers and a lot of teenage girls in particular, you know, terrible, crushingly low self-esteem around body image and around uh, how we looked and our romantic prospects. And, you know, I I used to think, I mean, I wrote about this in my book that I deliberately dressed in quite, um, you know, I I wore clothes that I I bought them from shops that were designed for men um, or with men in mind, because I, not because I was particularly, not because that was particularly my fashion taste, because if if it were, then that would be awesome. But because I felt like it was almost embarrassing for me to dress in girl, girly, "Quote unquote, girly fashions, because then I would be somehow telling people that I thought that I might actually be allowed to be seen as a girl. You know, this is what I would say to you, Grace. You're feeling insecure, and you're feeling um, un—you're feeling like you are not able to compete necessarily with your the people around you, that they all have better." interpersonal relationships with each other and, and you feel awkward and on the outside of that um, and you get lonely. And those are all completely valid feelings to have. And I'm really sorry that you're feeling that way. But when I felt those things, when I was a teenager, I felt like no one was going through it. I was the weird, awkward one on the outside of everything. And everyone, everyone else was having this amazingly great time. And then when I got older and I talked to some of those girls who I thought were really popular and had it all together in high school, and they, said, you know, it was a really tough time for them as well. And they struggled and, you know, some of them were battling terrible depression and eating disorders themselves. And they were really relieved when high school finished. Adolescence is just such a mind fuck in so many ways. And if you you get through it completely unscathed, then you've either got some, uh, you know, some difficult times coming your way, or you didn't really have the experience of being a teenager.
1: What
0: do you I've think? Gone, the, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I've gone over to the text
1: because, look, teenage years, and we don't do this well in our society, and I'm sorry about this, we don't really honour what is a tremendous rite of passage. It is you going from childhood to starting to self-determine in the world and take ownership of your thoughts, feelings, feelings, what you want as opposed to other, other people. It's a really important part of in, uh, individuation. Uh, I've gone over to the text messages and I have searched high and low grace for examples of people who found the teen, year, teen years easy. Um, uh, Chris was a massive theatre kid. Does that count as confidence? Um, Kath says not me. LMT was in a world of my own. Heading books didn't really pay much attention to high school life. But a lot of others like Meredith, um, say Meredith really hated high school and didn't really have confidence socially and wants Grace to share a message with you that it does get mm. better hang on tight and Gabrielle says yeah that's right I did not peak in high school I was a nerd I didn't love it I was he- I was uh, a different size to now and now I make the mashondi which is dollars mashondi yes it was important <laughs> for me to have the male guys in high school but now says Gabrielle I don't care. There um, there was a lot of chat about bad poetry and so on. I guess all this by way of saying that, yes, we understand how you're feeling, Grace, and it's not going to feel that way forever.
0: And the wonderful thing as well, uh, you know, and this, this is a message not just to Grace but to any uh, young women out there and young men as well and young non-binary friends who may be listening to this, who I hope is listening to this. Please get your kids to listen to this. The really wonderful thing is that, when you're going through it, it feels awful and insurmountable in the same way that going through any tough, shitty time feels feels that way. But when you emerge on the other side of it, there is humor to be found in it. You know, the oh, yeah. even people Wait. sharing their comments in the in the thread there, you know, that when you can look back on it and laugh, you realize that it's much more beneficial to your social standing and to your ability to kind of craft a good story, to be able to look back. On awkward times than it is no one wants to hear about the kids who were popular in high school they want to hear about the things that you did that were strange and awkward and weird um, and it just yeah, makes the kind of fun, you know the incredible success that you're going to be makes you that much more impressive
1: hats off to you young grace
0: A message from this episode's sponsor, wildsecrets.com.au, who've launched a national campaign today to encourage people to stay inside. Thinking about heading out during isolation, stay in and go yourself. As we all do our bit to flatten the curve, the good folk at Wild Secrets want to make sure that everyone is staying home by tempting them indoors with a little ice attainment. Please go yourself for everyone's sake, because while it's frustrating not being able to get out, hang out, and each other. There's no reason to go on being sexually frustrated. So let's go through this by staying and playing at home. And I'm also very excited to announce, courtesy of wildsecrets.com.au, that we will be giving a womanizer liberty away to this next little sister question. And as someone who uses womanizer products, I can personally uh, attest to the efficacy of that particular line of inquiry.
1: I'm blushing already. My cheeks are pink. Just
0: thinking about it. <laughs> Refresh your glasses, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. So to Velma, the lucky winner of the Womanizer Liberty, courtesy of wildsecrets.com.au, Velma asks, I have been with my partner for over, for over seven years. We have a house together, two dogs, a respectful and loving relationship, and a really happy life. But we have a bit of a developing issue around intimacy that I don't know how to navigate. Hang on a minute. So this is quite a this is quite a long question. So I'm going to summarise the next little bit. So oh, yeah. Velva got, Velma goes on to detail that she and her partner did have gone from having a very active. She just called out, Velma. Velva, did you? Sure. Clear. Edit this out. Carry on. Velma then goes on to detail that they've gone from having a very active sex life to her libido dropping, perhaps, she thinks, alongside a change in contraceptive pills. She says she still finds him attractive and loves to cuddle, but sex, quote unquote, feels like a chore now. Her partner is struggling to deal with the blow to his self-esteem, and this has led to a fractured communication between them. And she says, we have had conversations about trying to spice things up a bit in in a hope that it will make me more interested, but I'm honestly a bit of a prude and find it hard to consider buying a sex toy or watching porn. Well, Velma, now you don't have to buy it because I'm sending you one. Velma asks, am I overthinking this? Any suggestions of what I can do to make my partner feel loved without getting into my head so much? Is there something wrong with with me for not having any sex drive? Claire. Clem. Clem. Thelma. well you've been in a very long relationship
1: i'm gonna say darling no of course there's not i mean peaks and troughs swings and roundabouts valleys and mountains uh one of the spices of life and of long relationship i'm not exactly sure exactly how long you guys have been together um but seven years okay thank you i missed that bit look the the glory of this is um Again, and I feel like I've sort of said the same thing to all of our friends. I just want to reassure you that, in any long-term relationship, of course, our desire for each other and our hormones and where we're at in life and the way we're sort of processing stress—these uh, things will wax and wane. And I, I really think Valma, it's quite beautiful that you're asking this question, that you do care about your partner, and that you you, you know you'd like to to make sure that um, your partner is happy and satisfied, and I think that's a really beautiful basis upon which to, you know, base a relationship and to
0: to write into Clem and myself. There's nothing wrong with her for a start. She She hasn't, she's not letting, you're not letting your partner down because your libido has changed, whether or not it's associated with a change in birth control. I mean, obviously birth, medical birth control can have an impact on people's bodies, but it's also that you've been together for a really long time. And relationships, yes, it's a long they, do, time. they do flux and, you know, they go through fluxes and, and they wane and, you know, sometimes you have a lot of passion for each other and sometimes you think, well, I love this person, but I'm very familiar to them. They're familiar to me and the thought of ripping their clothes off. I mean, there's a reason why they call it the seven-year itch and that's because people get seven years into a relationship and things have kind of evened out a little bit. It doesn't feel as exciting to go to sleep with the same person every night. It doesn't feel as exciting to have sex with the same person all the time. It is a an obstacle that for some people needs to be, you need to figure out a way around it if you value your relationship and you want to stay in your relationship. And sex is obviously a very important part of relationships for a lot of people, not for all people, but for a lot of people. And, then you know, in disproportionate libidos as well can cause problems. But, but- the thing with...
1: and her her partner is that they had they seem to have a very uh, this is why I wanted to look at the wording because they had a very matched sex drive it sounds like for quite a long time and then Velma has sort of identified that she's changed contraceptive pills her hormones have changed and she feels differently Mm. at this point in time and that she's not entirely happy with that sort of different set of feelings so you know there's a few things that Velma can do there's a few sort of points of recourse in a way you could go back and have a conversation with your GP about that change and how and get some advice there about whether that might be related to the hormone um, pill itself Um, just if it's causing distress but I love the way that you say you still find him attractive and you love to cuddle but Sex feels like a chore now. Now, I, I sort of want to ask, Velma, what else is going on in your life at the moment? What else do you need space for? How is there a way that you can communicate your affection and love and, you know, strong feelings still for your partner in a way that um, I'm not sure if you've mentioned what gender your partner was, but in the way way that makes both yourself and your partner, understand that the bond is still strong. And it's something that sex therapist or psychotherapist Essa Perel speaks beautifully of um, about how we sort of hold each other in these differing seasons of our sexual relationship. We're only really wired to fire for that. I mean, that first year of limerence is where we're, absolutely high in the hormones and so often we do make the mistake in long-term relationships of always referring back to that first year when libidos both libidos are really high and sort of comparing our current state of play with how it once was but that you know the the way of it sounds to me that your conversation around intimacy is about to go through a really interesting change if you have the courage to have that conversation.
0: Well, and let's be realistic as well, based on exactly what's happening in the world at the moment, you're going to be spending a lot of time at home together. So there's, there's a good opportunity there to uh, have these kind of conversations. And also I, I would advise work at different ways of that, communicating that intimacy. One of the things that Velma said in her email, which I didn't, um, I had to summarize a lot of it, because obviously a lot of big feelings going on in, in her at the moment and understandably so. But one of the things that she said was that, because it's caused this kind of fractured uh, interplay between the two of them, sex, even when it's enjoyable for her, feels mm. she's she's un, she's uncertain whether or not she's enjoying it because she wants to be having sex or because she feels obliged to be satisfying her partner. And, mm-hmm. and she stresses that he's not pressuring her into it. The question isn't really about whether or not your libido has dropped or whether or not you want to be having sex with this person. I think it's that your relationship has hit a different point and you need to all people who've been together for that length of time um, reach a point, I mean, unless they're incredibly rare and they just are genuinely like soulmates, which I don't believe in, but genuinely <laughs> thrilled, thrilled in each other's company every second of the day, like the kind of people who run a business together and see each other all day long and then go home and have sex five times a week. I mean, one of the things that Velma said was that they their sex life has has diminished to the point where they sometimes have sex just once a week. And I was like, that's a lot of sex (laughs) doing great. I I mean, doing great. It's fine. So I think that sometimes we can also, it's important to remember as well. I mean, they got together in their early twenties and they've been together for just over seven years. So she's around the 30 year old mark. Um, So again, you know, like lifestyle changes, our familiarity with people impacts how often we want to have sex with them, but we can, you know, the theme maybe that's come up with these questions tonight is that comparison to other people and comparing the sex that you're having with your partner to the sex that you think other people are having with their partners and the variety that they might be having or, or the passion with which they're having sex is a that down that path lies nothing good. So I would say just alleviate some of the pressure from yourself, maybe do things with him and maybe, maybe discuss with your boyfriend, because it sounds like he is aware that you think that, this is a problem and it sounds like he has some particular feelings about it as well maybe say look can we just take the pressure off and take the emphasis off having sex like getting the you know the cliched home run and maybe build up intimacy in other ways maybe we can say right we're not going to have sex for three weeks or a month but during this time of isolation we're going to figure out different ways to be intimate with each other we might um know we might explore sex toys together or we might explore touch or physical massage or just you know you cleaning the house more often um (laughs) there's lots of things that that put people in the mood you know maybe you you could wash each other's hair I know that that sounds strange that sounds like I'm trying to make a joke but the experience of having your hair washed or washing someone else's hair is very sensual out of
1: Africa I mean come on
0: it's the most sexy scene in the whole
1: when Robert Redford (laughs) washes Meryl Streep's hair and she's so beautiful in that moment it's such a beautiful scene we can also turn in this conversation just you know just in sort of straight um meat and potatoes fact world if you go to studies about how regularly human beings have sex you you, you know i'm not going to sort of list them all but there's been a number of studies in in, um, this arena and you will find that you're perfectly fine in terms of comparison to the spectrum of other human beings, so know there's nothing wrong with you, and I think Clem's done a beautiful job there of suggesting what you can do to make your partner feel loved.
0: We've come to almost the end of the hour. No, I know it's been so oh. lovely chatting to you. <laughs> uh, just before, just before I wrap up though, because I'd love you, to, I'd love for you to um, play a song. Uh, sure. I also have to give away a satisfier Pro. So you know what? I might just have a look at the comments quickly. and
1: Why Do don't I see if I can find an instrument around here and maybe chuck on a little bit of, I don't know,
0: mood lighting? Yeah. LMT, if you would like to email me, please, on bigsisterhotline at gmail.com and uh, provide me your details, I will organise for a satisfier Pro 2 to be sent out to you directly for you or someone you know who can enjoy it to enjoy during this period of isolation and beyond. You've been listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast for all the questions you're too embarrassed to ask your therapist. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you look for great content. And you can also listen to all the back episodes there. Uh, As I said before, please, if you like it, then consider rating and reviewing it because it definitely helps to get new listeners. Send your questions or feedback to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com or contact me directly on instagram which is at clementine underscore forward i might start singing this is a song that clem requested and
1: it's one from an album um, which is called oh, i can't even remember oh it was so long ago i'm clem Bodich. you've been listening to big sister hotline and just a really big thanks to everyone who supported support act by coming tonight important organization that gets right behind musicians and crew at a time like this. I dedicate this to Velma. Oh pretty love. aren't you? i from the back Baby, I gotta take me back Love you. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Claire Burditch.
0: You are the wind beneath my wings. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more